Wildwood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Please take out your Bibles and turn in them to the Gospel of Luke and chapter number 24. Now, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one under a chair in front of you, and you can take that Bible and turn in it in the back portion to page 69, and you would find yourself at Luke chapter 24. Most of us have heard of CBS News correspondent Charles Kuralt. Maybe you knew him from him anchoring the CBS Morning News for some 15 years, but Charles Kuralt is most well-known for his series on the road. And he filmed some 600 episodes where he went to the back roads of America and found regular people to tell their stories. Like, for example, the singing mailman of MacGuffin County, Kentucky, and the bird lady of St. Petersburg, Florida, and Nicky the Chicken Man from Hartford, Connecticut. Fascinating stories told on the road with Charles Kuralt about regular people. Well, today is Easter Sunday, and we want to go on the road. But today we want to go on the road with Jesus. And we're going to find ourselves on a back road outside of Jerusalem. And Jesus is going to be on the road with some very regular people. And we're going to see a fascinating story that is some of the strongest evidence there is of the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The greatest miracle that ever happened is coming back from the dead. And that's what Jesus did. And it's amazing that 21 centuries later, there are still skeptics who question whether or not Jesus really could have been resurrected. And I think this section, being on the road with Jesus, will give us great indication of the reality of the resurrection. And if it's true that Jesus was resurrected from the dead, then he has defeated death once for all. And that has significance because did he make a way for me to defeat death too? And the answer is yes. Now, when we're in Luke chapter 24, it's written by a guy named Luke, and Luke was a physician. He was very learned, and he was very practical, and he even indicates when he wrote these accounts that he poured over the evidence very carefully, and so he's going to take us on the road with Jesus. Let me give you the outline we have as we go on the road with Jesus. We're going to see the meeting in verses 13 to 16. Then we're going to see the happenings, what was going on around at the time in verses 17 to 24. Then we're going to see the lesson that Jesus teaches on the road in verses 25 to 27. Then we're going to see the recognition that happens in verses 28 to 31. And finally, we're going to see the response in verses 32 to 35. So let's go on the road with Jesus. And it begins with the meeting in verse 13. Notice it says there, Behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. 
Now, in order to understand this, we need to just back up a few verses in the chapter. You remember what has happened, that Jesus was arrested and tried and crucified and buried. And on Sunday morning, some of the women, in verse 1 of the chapter, came early at dawn, and they came to the tomb bringing spices which they had prepared, and they found that the stone, this large stone, was rolled away from the tomb. And when they entered in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, no doubt, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing, identified later as angels who were appearing as men. And they say, why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and the third day rise again. And notice what happens in verse 9. They returned from the tomb and reported all these things that they heard from the angels, these women, to the eleven and to all the rest. But notice the response that they got as they related this experience. These words, verse 11, appeared to them, the eleven and the rest, as nonsense. And they would not believe the women. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen wrappings only there, And he went away to his home marveling at what had happened. Now, just understanding all of that, go back to verse 13. It says, and behold, two of them. Who were the them? Well, it tracks back to verse 9 when it says, the women came and reported these events to the eleven and to all the rest. These were not two of the eleven. These were two who were part of the rest. They were average Joe types, people just like you and people just like me. In fact, they're not even named in this section until six verses into the story, and then only one of them is ever named. You see, no one is a no-name to God. So two who were among the rest who heard these things were walking that day to a village named Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem, an insignificant village, average people from an insignificant village. And remember, the Passover feast had been held in Jerusalem, so they were on their way home, and they were walking. And if you walked at a casual speed, you might walk at about three miles per hour. So if you're going to go seven miles, that's about two and a half hours, or maybe a little less than two and a half hours. And they were probably walking slower than that, though, because we're going to see here, the verses tell us as we go on the road here, that they were involved in very deep discussion, very deep discussion. Notice verse 14 says, they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place, and they were talking and discussing, words that mean they were really at it, really talking this through. Perhaps they were reminiscing about the miracles that Jesus had done. You know, they were remembering how he'd fed the 5,000 or how he had healed the two blind men, or maybe they remembered about how he had healed the woman who'd been crippled for 18 years. Maybe as they remembered those miracles that Jesus had done, they were thinking, those were the days. Oh, those were the days. Maybe they were just reviewing back through his arrest and and the mock trials and the crucifixion and the burial. 
Maybe they were thinking, if only Jesus, I mean, if only Jesus had been a little more diplomatic with those Pharisees, this wouldn't have happened. Or maybe they were thinking, if we had just spoken out more, if we'd been more courageous, perhaps Jesus wouldn't have been killed. So while, verse 15, they were talking and discussing things, Jesus himself approaches and begins traveling with them. Now, probably there were a number of people on the road as they were on all the roads out of town from Jerusalem. But Jesus sort of comes alongside of them, just sort of drifts in, and he suddenly is walking with these two alongside of them. Now, I don't know about you, but this is where I go, wait a minute now, if, if I was Jesus, I would have done this a little bit differently. I mean, if I have been raised from the dead after people had arrested me and tried me illegally and beat me and crucified me, I wouldn't be on some road to an insignificant village with two average Joes. No, I would have gone straight to Pilate and said to him, I'm back. How about that one? That's what I would have done. But that's not what Jesus does. He seeks out regular folks, folks just like you and folks just like me. And notice it says in verse 16, their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. Perhaps part of this was just that they were so distracted and disoriented by all the events, but part of it was supernatural. And then that leads us to the happenings as we're on the road with Jesus and these two. Notice verse 17. He said to them, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And notice it says, they stood still looking sad. This is, the, this is Sunday, the first Easter. And again, we have people who tell us, well, you know, the disciples and everybody hanging around with them, they, they were coming up with this plot, this little trick thing they wanted to do to trick everybody about the. You don't see that here. There's no trick. There's no plot. There's no tricky thing going on at all. They had been walking and talking, and Jesus says, what things are you talking about? And they just stand still. They stop. It says, looking sad. I mean, they were downcast. They were down in the dumps. They were reeling from the events of the last few days. And even though the women had gone there to the grave and said, oh, some angels told us he had risen again, and then we had a couple of the 11 had gone to check it out, they weren't buying that. They weren't buying some wild resurrection story. In fact, they had no hope that there was a resurrection. Their faith had been splintered. They had thrown in the towel. In fact, they'd had all the heartache they could handle. These two, who were part of the rest, had the attitude, turn out the lights. The party's over. And notice one of them, named Cleopas, verse 18, answered and said to him, to Jesus, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and you're unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? Hey, where you been, buddy? I mean, if you were anywhere near Jerusalem, you would know just through the community grapevine of what had happened. I mean, how out of touch can anybody get? Really what Cleopas was saying to him is, 
You don't know what's going on? You know, the, the Bible has a lot of humor in it, and I think there's some comic irony here. You know, Cleopas is telling Jesus, uh, you don't know what's going on? And in reality, it's Cleopas who really doesn't know what's going on. And then Jesus says in verse 19, what things? And I want you to notice, as we, as we read down through these next few verses, there's evidence here that Luke had to have interviewed these two. He had to have interviewed them because he's got every part of the exchange. The other thing I want you to notice as we go down through these verses are the past tenses as they talk. Jesus said, what things? And they said to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, who was a prophet, past tense. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel indeed. Besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. He was, Jesus the Nazarene was, past tense, a prophet. But he died just like so many of those in a long line of Old Testament prophets. And we were hoping, but he's dead and buried. In fact, our hope is ice cold. We were hoping, past tense, that he would redeem Israel. The irony, of course, is that he did redeem Israel. He just did it differently than they had expected. Notice verse 22. He goes on to say, But also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning. They did not find his body, but they came saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of us who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. Yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it was a wild rumor, but it was really a washout. When they went there, they didn't see him. Do you see how with these two, their faith had drained away from them every step they took towards Emmaus? And really what they were saying is we can't believe that he's gone. We can't believe that this Jesus that we had followed was unjustly arrested and unjustly tried, that he was beaten to the point of being unrecognizable, and then they plopped a crown of thorns on his head, and they made fun of him, and they crucified him. And it's over. They were buried in un belief. They can't see Jesus, and here it is, Easter morning. How about you? It's Easter morning. Can you see the resurrected Jesus? That leads us to the lesson, and we see the lesson unfolding in verse 25. And Jesus says to them, O oh, foolish men, slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. He chides them for a failure, but I want you to notice what the failure really is. He says, 
you did not believe all that the scriptures said. See, they were very selective like many people are today. Well, I'm going to believe this part about the Bible, but not this part about the Bible. And he says, no, no, that, that's a failure that's supreme. Don't do that. You cannot pick and choose and be selective. You need to believe all that the Scripture has to say. Part of the problem was, in, in, in the Old Testament, when it came to the Messiah, there were two pictures drawn of the Messiah. You had the picture of a suffering servant that you would see, for example, in Isaiah chapter 53. And then you had the picture of a triumphant king in passages like Daniel chapter 7. And what they did in that day is they were predisposed to selectively look at the triumphant king passages. And they dismissed the, the verses that talked about the suffering, the rejection, and the death of the Messiah. And that's what Jesus is chiding them for. Don't pick and choose the Bible. All that it has to say is what you need to believe. In fact, this ran so deep with them that in Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 and 22, it says, as Jesus began to teach the disciples about how he was going to have to suffer uh, at the hands of the elders and the scribes and be killed and then be raised again from the dead, this is what Peter's response to that was. Oh, no way that's happening. God forbid it that that would occur. Because they were so focused on one part of Scripture to the exclusion of another. You see, they were thinking that Jesus was going to deliver and rescue them from Rome. But rather, what Jesus was doing was delivering and rescuing them from sin and judgment. That was God's plan all along. Notice verses 26 and 27. He says, was it not necessary for the Christ, the Messiah, to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all of the scriptures. Now that would be pretty cool to be there, to have Jesus personally walking you through the Bible. And when it talks about he began with Moses, he's talking about the books of Moses, which is the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He started there. No doubt he went to the book of Genesis and talks about the, the prophecy regarding the seed of the woman who would come one day. And he was saying that's talking about the Messiah. And then in Exodus, um, the Passover lamb. And how the Messiah was a picture of the Passover lamb and how all the sacrifices in the book of Leviticus pointed to the ultimate sacrifice and how the scapegoat that you find in Leviticus was really a picture of the Messiah. All the sins of the nation were ceremoniously put on the scapegoat. And that's what Messiah came to do with the sins of the world. In fact, there are, it has been calculated, 300 plus prophecies that have been fulfilled relating the coming of the Messiah, already fulfilled by Jesus. And Peter Stoner um, has given us some interesting information on all of that. I'm going to share that with you in just a moment. But I want you to notice the handout that is uh, inside of your uh, bulletin today. And these are just 10 of 300-plus prophecies. But I just want you to get a feel for all of this. In 720 B.C., Micah 5.2, the Messiah was prophesied to be born in Bethlehem. 
In Matthew 2.1, we realize that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. In 700 B.C., Isaiah 7.14, Messiah would be born of a virgin. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 31, Jesus was born of a virgin. 480 B.C., prophesied Messiah would enter Jerusalem on a colt, Zechariah 9.9. Jesus entered Jerusalem on a colt, Luke 19, verses 35 to 37. 700 B.C., Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, Messiah would be wounded by his enemies. John 19, 1-6, Jesus was beaten and flogged and crucified. 700 B.C., Isaiah 53, 7, Messiah would be silent before his accusers. Matthew 27, 12-14, Jesus was silent before his accusers. 700 B.C., Isaiah 53, 12, Messiah would be executed with transgressors. Jesus was executed with transgressors, Mark 15, verses 27 to 28. 975 B.C., Psalm 22:17. 17, Messiah's garments would be divided and gambled over. Matthew 27, 35 to 36, Jesus' garments were divided and gambled over. Isaiah 53, 12, again 700 years before, Messiah would intercede for his persecutors. Luke 23, 34, Jesus interceded for his persecutors. 480 B.C., Messiah would be pierced, Zechariah 12.10. Jesus was pierced, John 19.34. And again, seven centuries before, Isaiah 53.9, Messiah would be buried with the rich, and Jesus was buried with the rich, Matthew 27, verses 57 to 60. Now, that's just 10 of 300 plus. Now, I mentioned Peter Stoner. He's an interesting guy because he is involved in the, the science of probability. And this is what Peter Stoner says. He says, the chance that um, any man in history could fulfill eight prophecies given generations and centuries before, the chance of any man fulfilling eight would be one in 10 to the 17th power. That's 10 with 17 more zeros behind it. Just to illustrate what a long shot that would be, it would be just like if you took an area that would be just a little bit less than the state of Oklahoma, the state of Kansas, the state of Missouri, and the state of Arkansas, and then you took 10 to the 17th power number of silver dollars, and you covered that area, you would cover that area two feet deep, two feet deep in silver dollars. And then if you marked one of those silver dollars and you secretly mixed it in somewhere, and then you took a blindfolded man and said, you must pick one silver dollar. That is one in 10 to the 17th power. That any man in history could fulfill eight. We have on your sheet 10 and there's some 300 plus. Jesus took them through all of this. And as he laid out the scripture before them, he prepared them for the eyes of their understanding to be open. And men and women, that's the way it happens with all of us. The scripture begins to prepare us to have our understanding open. That leads us to the recognition. It occurs in verses 28 and 29. And they approached the village where they were going. And Jesus acted as though they were he was going on farther, but they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. Sun is setting. So he went in to stay with them. 
See, Jesus is a gentleman. He doesn't force himself on people. And he's not going to force himself on you. Then notice verses 30 and 31. When he had reclined at the table with them, Jesus took the bread and blessed it. And breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. See, part of it was that the supernatural blinders were lifted off of them. But it almost seems like part of it, it happened when he took the bread and he broke it and he blessed it. And you know, if they were walking with somebody with a robe on, you may not be able to see someone's wrists. But when someone is at table breaking bread, those holes in his wrists maybe first became visible to them. Well, notice the response in verse 32. They said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? They're saying we were were experiencing heavenly heartburn. We were resonating on the inside as we heard this. Our spirits were saying, this is the truth. This is the truth. And so, what do they do? Verse 33. They got up at that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. Remember, they had said, wait a minute, the sun is going down. And in those days, when the sun went down, there was a lot of danger on the roads. There was danger from wild animals, and people didn't have guns that they could carry to protect themselves. There was danger from muggers. But they said, we're going back to Jerusalem now because we got a story to tell everybody. And I know, and you know, it went back at a lot faster pace than when they were leaving Jerusalem towards Emmaus. Notice what happens is they get back, verse 33, they found and gathered together with the eleven and those who were with them and saying, the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. This is what they were told. And they began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. A fascinating story on the road with Jesus and two people just like you and just like me. And men and women, this story on the road with Jesus underscores the reality of the greatest miracle that has ever happened. And that is somebody came back from the dead. And I just want us to think about two life reflections having looked at the story on the road with Jesus. And here's the first one. In a sense, the road to Emmaus is one that everyone walks. And maybe you came in today on this Easter Sunday morning on the road of doubt and confusion. I've heard all the stuff about Jesus and I've heard a lot of these stories over the years, but I don't know where I stand with him and I don't know what my relationship is with him and I'm kind of confused by all of this stuff. Maybe you're even thinking, you know what? What I really need is more evidence. If I just had more evidence than these stories, then I would believe in Jesus. 
I want you to keep your finger here, but go with me a few pages back to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. And we're going to get in on the tail end of the story of a rich man and a poor man by the name of Lazarus who died, and both of them now are on the other side of death's door. And the rich man is saying, wait a minute now, this isn't, this isn't a pleasant place to be. And he says to Abraham in verse 27, he says, I beg you, Father, that you would send Lazarus back to my house. Would you send him back? Because I have five brothers, and I want him to warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But notice what Abraham says to him. This is powerful stuff. They have Moses and the prophets let them hear them. They have Scripture. Let them listen to what Scripture says. And he says, oh, no, Father Abraham, but if someone were to come back from the dead, then they will repent. And he says back to him, to this rich man, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. In other words, those who reject what Scripture says will not be convinced otherwise. You don't need any more evidence. And maybe you're here today and you are experiencing right now a little bit of heavenly heartburn. You are resonating with the story on the road with Jesus and it's saying in your soul, this is the truth. This is the truth. See, the idea is that if Jesus is alive, that means death has been defeated and sin has been forgiven and our future can be secure. So you might say, what do I need to do? Well, you need to turn to the person of Christ in faith. In fact, our same writer, Luke, in Acts chapter 10, verse 43, put it this way. It says, of him, of Jesus, all the prophets, all of the Old Testament scriptures bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Can it get any more straightforward than that? Everyone who believes in him, who trusts in him and relies on who he is and what he did for them receives forgiveness of sins. And as I like to say, there's nothing more wonderful in all the world than to know that you are forgiven. In a sense, the road to Emmaus is one that everyone walks. Second life reflection I have is this. Just because you don't see Jesus doesn't mean he's not there. And maybe as you come in to this Easter Sunday, you're thinking, I, I, I just don't think Jesus is very close to me right now. Maybe you think he's far away. And I would just say to you, oh, you who are so slow to believe all that the Scripture has to say. See, if you know him, even though you can't feel him or see him, he is near. In fact, his promise to you is, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. In fact, if you come to know him, his promise is, I will walk with you all the way through life, every step of the way. Just because you don't see him doesn't mean he's not there. Let's pray together.
Father, we just thank you for this opportunity. What an intriguing story with average people on a remote road with Jesus. And Lord, we just thank you so much that he was thinking of us way back in eternity and that he did all that needed to be done for people to be forgiven and that his promise is once we come to know him, he will always be with us every step of the way. He is the one who brings redemption to the nations. He is the one who wrote the book of our salvation. He is the only one. All these other religious systems, this is the only one where God comes to be solution to our problem. And we want to give praise and honor to the Lamb of God who loved us and released us from our sins by his blood, who conquered death once for all, for those who trust in him, and that he will return one day as that triumphant king to rule the earth. And we would say, may it be soon. Amen.